the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. In Daniel 7, there is a judgment. That judgment convenes, and it's very clear. It convenes because this little horn power looks like a man, but it's not the son of man. It has boastful words against God. It challenges His law. It persecutes the saints. And heaven has a judgment in heaven to take dominion away from that horn, that means religious dominion, and give it to Jesus Christ. And what that means is there's a great shift in human history. That's Pastor Michael Oxentenko, and this is Reaching Your Heart. Getting Even God's Way is the name of today's message with Pastor Mike. We brought you the first part of this broadcast yesterday, but due to our time constraints, we're not able to complete it. We'll do so today. You can also go to reachingyourheart.com if you want to listen to the entire message without interruption. Before we get started, we want you to know that we believe here at Reaching Your Heart that God answers prayer. If you need prayer, please call us at any time, day or night, 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. Here now is our pastor teacher, Michael Oxenteco. Every one of us has acquired a debt that cannot be repaid in a single lifetime. We are unable to pay God back. That's the starting point of the judgment. So what does God do to people like you and me who cannot pay their debt to God? That's what we got to come to grips with in this teaching, the investigative judgment. Now, I borrow money from my children, and they do not forgive the debt. Have you ever noticed that? My boys are that way. You know, I borrow, hey, give me 10 bucks. 10 years later, Dad, you still owe me 10 bucks. That's tough. Now, it may come as a surprise to discover that God does not simply forgive and forget. He doesn't simply forgive and forget. Forgiveness is not simple when the debt is large and the offense is great. Forgiveness is complex because it involves pain, offense, and love and justice. Forgiveness presupposes that there is, in fact, an offense. In the story, the king is the person who suffered the loss and he's the one who's been offended deeply. And so what does he do? Well, because of sin, friend, God is the one whose treasury has been depleted. The story teaches us that God is not some armchair deity who cannot be affected by our bad decisions. In the story, the king has suffered a severe pain, a deep loss of an immense scale. Look at verse 25. And it says, And as he, that servant, could not pay, his Lord ordered him to be sold with his wife and children, all that he had in payment to be made. Now verse 25 indicates that the king passed judgment on the debtor and found him guilty. That's a picture of God here. So in the parable, the debtor is a servant. The servant represents a believer. Before there is mercy, there is judgment. And the Bible says very clearly that he found the servant guilty. Friend, you cannot receive forgiveness from God unless you accept his verdict of guilt against your sin. I pause for you to hear that. If you go after God's forgiveness and you don't get on your knees and come to grips with the fact you have offended him, You have sinned against him. You don't get anything. 
The kingdom court here starts with the clear dismissal of innocence and moves on to the quick declaration that the servant is guilty. Now, why is this important? Why does the king so quickly declare the servant subject to his justice? It may come as a shock for you to discover that you cannot be forgiven if you are not found guilty. You cannot be forgiven if you're not found guilty. If you're innocent, you don't need forgiveness. You don't need a savior. You're innocent. Case closed. Move on. 1 John 1, 8, 9, a famous verse. If we say we have no sin, what do we do? We lie. That's what's wrong with perfectionism. We deceive ourselves. Why do we need to know that we have this problem? The truth is not in us if we deny that most basic idea. If we confess our sins, what is he able to do? He is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all our righteousness. So we must come to grips with our guilt to have the great mercy of God in our life. Look at Romans 3, 19 and 20. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, meaning the condemnation of the law. Now why does the law come about? He says, so that every mouth may be stopped. You know, we brag naturally, don't we? I'm a good person. The law says you're not a good person. And the whole world may be held accountable to God. Now, here's the key point. For no human being will be justified in sight by works of law, since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. The gospel starts with the rude fact that we are all guilty. Before a righteous God, we owe a debt we cannot pay. If you believe that you are not guilty, then you're in big trouble, friend, for the judgment day. No guilt means no forgiveness from God. You know, it's very often we kind of accuse others. We say, you know, that person hurt me. I have lost confidence in them. I've lost confidence in the church. You know who you should lose confidence in? Yourself. Because we are the problem. God works with us first before he works with others. If he wants to work through us, which he does. It's a good thing as a believer to know that you are by nature guilty. It's a healthy thing to realize that. Romans 8, 32. For God has consigned all men to disobedience. And why has he done this? That he may have mercy upon all. Without a sense of need, there's no sense of a savior. So we need the law to lead us to the gospel. You do away with the law, you have no need of a savior. In the story, the king commands that the servant be sold with his wife and children, all his goods, and be sold in order to pay the debt. The king's servant is moved to fear and begins to implore his master for mercy. Matthew 18, 26. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, Lord. That's a good thing to say when you're guilty. Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. Dear heart, you will notice that the servant called him Lord. Even though he called him Lord, he acted like his Lord was stupid. And if you really look at the verse, it's evident. He said, I will repay you everything. Think about that. 60 million drachma takes 2,000 plus lifetimes to repay. He should have been truthful with his Lord, but he wasn't. He's lying. Or at least he's being self-deceived. He was hedging on the hope that the Lord was greedy and stupid at the same time. He was not confident in his Lord to appeal for mercy outright without cutting a deal with him. The servant appealed for mercy with a bargain for mercy. In verse 27, it's amazing. The king forgave him anyway. Look at it. And out of pity for him, the Lord of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. The king knew he couldn't pay him back. The king knew that he couldn't even start to pay him back. The king wasn't impressed by his bad bargain. The king wasn't impressed by his promise to pay off the debt. The king, out of pity, forgave him and let him go. 
That's good news, isn't it? And notice what this means. It means that the king forgave his servant when the servant had a bad and terrible misunderstanding, misconception of the king's character. Luke 7, 47. Christ said, he who is forgiven little, what will he do? See, if you don't have a sense of forgiveness in your own life, how are you going to forgive somebody else? If you've not come to grips with God forgiving you, you won't really forgive others. The person who thinks he can pay God back is the person who thinks he can overcome his guilt by his own efforts. Payback time. No, you can't pay back. Matthew 18, 28, the story continues. But that same servant as he went out came upon one of his fellow servants. So it moves from the vertical to the horizontal, from the relationship to the king to the relationship with the subjects. And said, who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him by the throat, he said, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and besought him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went out and put him in prison till he should pay the debt. The second man in the story was also a servant of the king. In verse 28, he is called a fellow servant. In the story, he met someone just like himself with the exception that he owed a lot less than he owed the king. hundred denarii is a debt that can be paid in a hundred days. It's amazing. But this servant of the king was unwilling to even let his fellow servant pay him back. He wanted revenge. He showed by his hardness of heart that he had learned nothing from the king's kindness given to him. In verse 31, the situation escalates. The text says, when his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their Lord all that had taken place. Go to the magazine rack. There's a magazine called The Inquirer. Isn't there? Sometimes it makes national news. I mean, it's crazy how this is. But there's a famous slogan that goes with it. Inquiring minds want to know, right? I want to know who those fellow servants are. What about you? Who are they? Now, the fellow servants, if you really look at the context, represent unfallen angels who have not offended the king. They have no debt, but they are watching how we relate to the king with ours. In the book of Daniel, angels are called as watchers. They are present in the investigative judgment. And look at Daniel 5.17. The sentence is by the decree of the watchers, the decision by the word of the Holy One. So angels are up there kind of interacting with God. The heavenly judgment involves angels who are watching very carefully to see how we treat each other in the church, whether or not we are quick to forgive, whether or not we hold grudges. In the book of Revelation, these angels are called fellow servants. Revelation 22, 8 and 9. In fact, John fell down to worship one of them. He says, don't do it. He says, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel. But look at verse 9. He said, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant. So we have the key here. The angels in heaven are horrified when they see Christians in the church who have been forgiven by God refuse to give a fellow believer who hurts them deeply. They protest this kind of thing to God in the heavenly councils, and God hears it. And the final verdict of the investigative judgment hymns on whether or not you are willing to forgive someone because God has already forgiven you in Christ. Matthew 18, 32. Now here we wrap it up. Then his Lord summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant. Now what makes him wicked? It's not the fact that he had failed. It's not the fact that he had a debt. It's none of that. What makes him wicked is the fact he wouldn't forgive. Can you write that in your notepad? That's what makes a person wicked. You wicked servant, I forgave you how much? All the debt because you besought me. I fully forgave you. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servants, had mercy on you? Now, can God get upset? Look at verse 34. This makes him mad. 
In anger, his Lord delivered him to the jailers till he should pay all his debt. Now, Christ is very clear here. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Now, you can't change your heart, but God can. Christ hung on a cross to change hearts so the church will be a place of love and forgiveness. This past week, I learned something about my oldest son that changed the way I look at him forever. Go with me for a little journey here. My oldest son, John Michael, is a gift from God to me. So was my younger son. But I almost lost John Michael when he was a small child, just a toddler. I was going for a walk at the seminary. He ran in front of a car. I was moving about 50 miles an hour. I told him to stop, and he didn't. It was a split second away. It was like in my mind, I saw him die. And I ran into the road. I leaped in front of the car. I dragged him to the other side. I was shaking. I was weak for a week, literally. I tackled him just in time. And as I was shaking on the other side, I held him tight in my arms. In my mind's eye, I lost him that day. In the providence of God, I got him back in an instant. I held him tight forever. My son has grown to be a man. He's a good man. Not a perfect man. Because the Bible knows we aren't. He's a good man. And I have learned a little more about him this week I didn't know before. My son is part of an elite rescue corps called Cave Cliff in Hamilton County, Tennessee. That rescue corps goes deep into the bowels of the earth to carry people out either dead or alive. It brings them back. It also rescues people who fall off of cliffs. Now, if you fall off a cliff, rescuing you might mean retrieving the body or something like that, or in rare instances, saving a life. My son was rescued twice himself by Cave Cliff when the caves flooded when he was caving. One of his expedition members had led him twice into the cave during a rainy time. And his life was saved twice by this same group that he works for. On one occasion, a young woman went hypothermic as she was freezing. Literally, she began to shut down in a waterfall trapped on a rope as part of her team. And his best friend and himself, they used their efforts. They went into that raging waterfall They latched their body to her. They both fell into the pool together. They got wet and they risked death to save her life. They saved her life. My son and his best friend fought the current of that waterfall to take her down. And they did save her. Now there are many stories like this that I could share with you. But I didn't realize that my son in some way here is a real life superhero. He's just my little boy to me. But he really isn't in this way. I want to share it with you. He's physically fit. He's out to be a man. In fact, he calls me every day. Dad, did you run tonight? And I've been running. With his skill and his faith in God, because there's a spiritual side, he saved many lives with determination, effort. He doesn't give up. He will not let someone die if he can save them. And he always focuses on what it means to save a life. And he doesn't talk about much else than that. So he doesn't talk about the lives he lost. This week he shared a little more, but only in that context. I got a call from John Michael early in the week. And he had just been notified that a young girl had fallen off a cliff near Covenant College in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Big lookout mountain, just a huge mountain high there in Tennessee. At one point, he was racing 90 miles an hour to the rescue in that FJ cruiser he has. That's pretty fast. I asked him what it means to rescue someone like this. He said, Dad, it means we will either retrieve a body or we will find her alive. Why are you asking me that? What are the chances of finding her alive, son? He paused and he was silent and he said, there is a chance. I could tell from that they didn't really think she'd be alive. 
More with Pastor Michael Oxentenko in just a moment. Studying the Bible is vital to our lives, and we would like to help you in that process by providing you free Bible study guides. These full-color Bible study guides are available for you right now if you dial this telephone number, 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. We would love for you to call and get your copy of these free Bible study guides at any time. That's 888-244-4673. Now more with Pastor Michael Oxentenko. Now, I don't know what happened inside of me right there, but I wanted to pray with him before he actually got there. I said, son, I think she's going to be alive. Let's pray for her right now that you have the right words to say. I asked him to be sure and speak faith to her when he found her alive, but I bowed my head and I prayed for him. As it happened, my son didn't get back with me until two days later, so I was wondering what was going on. When he finally called, I could tell that he was shaken and happy at the same time. He said, Dad, you just won't believe what happened. It's the most amazing story. She should have died, but she didn't die from the fall. He then gave me a little context. He said, Dad, just a few weeks before, I went down that same cliff, and I retrieved the broken body of a little girl who had fallen to her death. He didn't tell me that. So he's carrying that. He had to pick up the pieces, Dad, and bring them up that cliff to give them to the family. So they would have resolution in their life. Dad, you don't forget things like that. And that's why it's easy for people on the team to grow cynical about religion and God. we got people on our team that are. When you see this kind of thing again and again and again, the state of Tennessee reached out to him to give him help because he's a prime candidate for post-traumatic stress disorder. He told them, he says, I have a way of dealing with that. I'm a Christian. I have faith in God. I don't need the help. He says, I've seen a lot, Dad. I'm known as the religious one on the team. They know that. Because I pray with the team before every rescue. I won't go with them unless we bow our heads and pray. I do it every time. And I have told the unbelieving ones that are still good men that they need to grow. How I sift through the pain and the tragedy of these kind of things and I keep my arrow straight. I tell them that we are not God. I tell them that we don't control the current events and we are not in charge of people's lives as God is. That's God's call and God's business. But I also tell them nonetheless that we are in the flow of time and we are put here to behave well in the role that we have, that we've been given, and to deal with it as best we can with God's help to the glory of God and for others. In the end, Dad, I tell them that we cannot judge for another and we cannot take responsibility for anyone else but ourselves So our calling is to make a difference and not to be a judge, to work to save lives and get it right here in our life. Now that's profound. Cave Cliff is in the business of saving lives. That's an amazing thing. We need to be so as well. He said, Dad, I got to the cliff and there were only a few first-timers there with me. They'd never been on a rescue. And that girl was in a precarious position. They had never been on a rescue. They were inexperienced. We saw her at 40 feet down. So I got my rope on. I told him to follow me. He says, I rappelled down the face of that mountain. As I went straight down the cliff of that girl, she was about, as I said, 40 feet on a narrow ledge. My son said six inches. The newspaper said two feet. I trust my son because he's more accurate. He was there. 85 foot drop beneath her 
It was muddy, slippery. She had one flip-flop on. The other had flung off in the air. She had fallen off, and somehow she'd been slapped against that ledge and had not fallen the other 85 feet. How do you fall and land on a few inches wide ledge like that? No one really knows. It was stunning. She was standing as a miracle on that ledge at the base of Covenant College, a Christian college. He said, when I got to her, I quickly put a rope around her and I locked her body into mine. Her fate became my fate. I would not let her go. He said, the first thing I said to her was this. I spoke to her and I said, if you don't believe in God, you better start. (laughs) You should have fallen to your death. God has intervened this day for your life. She had fallen. Now hear me. But she had not fallen to her death. We fall that way too. At that point, he did a full medical assessment on her right there on the side of the cliff. He's a registered nurse, four-year nurse, and he's going to be a medical doctor. I said that because I'm a proud daddy. It's not necessary for the story. She only had a bit tongue. That's what he said. Now, the newspaper said she had head injury. She really didn't. He then hoisted her up to life with the help of the team. He told her that you have a story to tell. You could have fallen to your death, but you only fell. And you fell in such a way that God saved you from a greater fall. You are meant to live with a purpose. Friend, we have all fallen. We've all failed God. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. Am I right? And Jesus was sent by God on the mission of mercy down that cliff to save us all. We need, like her, to be rescued. Pain has found its way into every life. Resentment can kill you. It can make you fall the greater distance. You know, many people, when they fall, they fall for good. But if they don't, there's a chance for life. You know, we in the church here need to be a rescue team, not a judge and jury of people. Am I right? My son was correct. We are not responsible for what others, what they do. We're not responsible for God's actions in human history. But we are responsible for what we do to others and for them to the glory of God. God has not put us here to judge in the church. At times we have to deal with difficulties. That's true. But he's put us here to be his ambassadors for grace, to live right for the sake of the body. You know, if you don't forgive someone, you're a fool. You know why? Because if you don't forgive them, you will never have the forgiveness of God. We are forgiven as we forgive. And we are saved as we seek to save the lost. Cross of Christ stands high. There all of our lives meet in one. There the pain of one man is the pain of us all. And there every tragedy is his tragedy. But you know, in the resurrection, one man arose from the dead. He came out to give us life. His acceptance, his victory is ours if we seize the prize by faith. So what kind of life are we to live? Friend, we are to live a victorious life that overcomes these things. In Revelation 3, 5, and 6, Jesus put forth a promise that matters a lot for the kingdom court. I will end with this promise. He who conquers shall be clad thus in white garments. And this is it. I will not blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and before his holy angels. Lord, we receive mercy as we are merciful. Give us mercy. And Father, I pray where forgiveness is needed here, 
that the feet of the saved will seek those out who need the reconciliation and that they will seek those that do not like them, those that have hurt them, or maybe they have hurt them too. And they will seek the unity and the bond of peace and not let anything get in the way of that pursuit. And Lord, if some dear brother or sister should refuse, then may kindness be the answer back because kindness found us at the cross. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. And there you have it, the conclusion to Getting Even God's Way. Today's Reaching Your Heart. If you missed any portion of this message, you can find it online at reachingyourheart.com. Once again, that website, reachingyourheart.com. Thank you so much for listening today. We hear every day about disasters, troubles, problems, difficulties ahead. We have a small 64-page volume entitled Soul Care that is just filled with practical information on how you can grow as a Christian and even thrive in the tough times ahead. Again, the name of the book is Soul Care, and it's yours right now just for calling. 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. You can call that number right now or at any time to receive your free book entitled Soul Care. Call now. Once again, that telephone number is 888-244-4673, 888-244-HOPE. If you've been inspired by this message and want to partner with us to further spread these messages and keep us broadcasting on the air, then we welcome your partnership. And you can give a donation of any amount. We thank you for your support. If you're in the Washington, D.C. area or passing through, we'd love to welcome you to our church family. Stop by Reaching Hearts International and join us for a worship service every Saturday at 11 o'clock or Wednesday at 7.30 p.m. The address for the church is 6100 Brooklyn Bridge Road, Laurel, Maryland, 20707. 6100 Brooklyn Bridge Road, Laurel, Maryland, 20707. If you're wondering how to get a copy of today's broadcast, you can go to reachingyourheart.com and download a copy or listen right there in on-demand audio format. Again, the address for the website is reachingyourheart.com. Thanks for listening today. We hope you'll join us again next time for another Reaching Your Heart. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.